Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Ronnie will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 2. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. While the groom was building the room addition, the bride is getting reports on the status of the house. Are you getting this? She's aware of the times and the seasons, but she didn't know the exact hour. So after his father gave the okay, the groom would go get his bride. The bride would be in her bed sleeping. Are you listening? The bride would be in her bed sleeping and all of a sudden, bang, 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 blowing trumpets and the, the groom's men are coming and they're coming down the street and they're shouting, the bridegroom cometh, the bridegroom cometh, wake up. And this was usually in the middle of the night that he came and literally stole his bride from her bed. She only had enough time to grab her lamp that should have already had oil in it. Y'all come with me. Matthew 25. Are you with me? Should have already had oil in it. The whole scene is very romantic for you romantic folks. This whole scene was pretty romantic. He sweeps her away and they ride off into the dark night to live together in love forever. And then there's the prenup. It's not what you think prenup. The prenups in the Bible was a contract and the blessings pronounced. After the ceremony or the hoopah, the bride and the groom, listen, would go into a private chamber and people are outside partying, eating your food, drinking your drinks. The best man would stand outside the door while, y'all getting this? While the bride and groom are in the chamber, <laughs> the best man, <laughs> the best <laughs> <laughs> the best man is standing outside the door. And when the marriage was consummated, the, 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 the bridegroom would yell out the door. It's all good, man. <laughs> I'm trying to think how to say that. Everything's good. And then he would tell the other guest and the party and would start all over again. The wedding, the wedding feast, the Jewish wedding feast lasted seven days, seven days. Jewish folks know how to party, y'all. They party till it's 1999. They like the party. They party for seven days. And then the, the father of the bride always gets stuck with the bill, which I'm trying to change that tradition as well. I think that should change. So the next time, get this, that you see the bride and the groom, they are coming forward, smiling, coming forward, and they partake of the marriage supper together with their guest. I can't imagine you don't get this picture. The Bible says that the trump of God will sound the rapture. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. And then we go to meet the church, the bridegroom, together in the air. And so shall we ever be with him. And meanwhile, we are tucked away in the chamber or tucked away with the bridegroom. Meanwhile, on earth, there's seven years of tribulation going on on the earth. And the next time you see the bride or the church, we are coming with Jesus at the marriage supper. Anybody excited about that? Anybody excited about that? That's awesome. So in our text, listen, all of these things have taken place in Jesus. I told you all that to tell you that Jesus now, all that's taken place in Jesus is at the wedding. It's nice to see Jesus at a wedding, isn't it? It's even nicer to see Jesus at a marriage. Oh, you need to write that down. It's even nicer to see Jesus at a marriage. Many people invite Jesus to the wedding, but not to the marriage. And can I tell you something? Marriage doesn't stand a chance without Jesus. Somebody say a better amen than that. Am I right about it? Marriage does not stand a chance, nada, without Jesus in the center. The statistics are alarming and overwhelming in our country. Over half the weddings in our great country end in divorce. And the person that's hurt in a divorce is not the exes. It's the children. It's the kids. And we say, oh, well, the kids, well, you know, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Well, I don't know if I'd say they'll be fine. I'll say they'll get by. Uh, survival is, you know, first law of nature or something like that. Uh, what is that? Preservation is the first law of nature. There you go. And uh, they'll get by and, and they'll do what they have to do. And some of you guys are products of parents that had divorce. And you know how hard that is. Am I right about it? Or am I just talking? Yeah, I'm right about it. It's hard. It's hard on the kids. And so uh, for, for the love of God and for the witness of the church, stay together and love each other and get Jesus in the marriage and not just at the wedding. Somebody clap your hands and say amen or do something. We need Jesus, not just at the wedding, but also in the marriage. Well, in Jesus' day, marriage was a covenant. It was legal, civil, and religious. People say today, well, why get married? It's just a piece of paper. Listen, marriage is a covenant and a piece of paper before God and man. And I don't care what anybody says, and perhaps I can get a witness in the house. I don't care what nobody says. God ordains marriage, not man. And just because man alters things does not change things in the economy of God. God, Don't y'all understand, God does not function on a democracy. God doesn't say, well, it looks like the vote of the people is this, therefore I'm going to change my standard. God does not function that way. Come on, clap your hands and say amen. You ought to be happy about it. Christian, God's standards are true. God's standards are right. He is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He does not change. He will not change because men change. Huh? We see Jesus endorses all of these by attending this wedding. Look at verse 3. It tells us, Everyone is having a good time. All of a sudden, Mary realized they run out of wine. Look at verse 3. 
And Mary told Jesus they have no wine. There's a stress in her voice because this was a social catastrophe. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. This was a social catastrophe, a social disgrace to run out of wine. If you ran out of wine, you would never live it down. People would talk about you. It would haunt you for the rest of your life. And the reason is it was such a social disgrace was because the rabbis considered wine a symbol of joy. Isaiah 55, Psalm 104, 15. Uh, wine makes glad the heart of man. The rabbis taught if you run out of wine, you run out of joy. If the groom ran out of wine, it symbolized he couldn't provide joy for his wife and his friends. You couldn't run out of food. You could run out of food, but you couldn't run out of wine. In fact, a groom, get this, I never knew this, a groom could be sued if he ran out of wine. Isn't that unbelievable? Because you have failed to meet social responsibility. So when Mary goes to Jesus and says, we have run out of wine, you can understand now there's an urgency there. In verse 4, please look at it. Jesus said, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Now, Jesus isn't disrespecting his mother by saying woman. I'm amazed as I looked at various translations and they have added the words like um, honored woman. In the original language, it does not say honored woman. There's no need to add words. When Jesus said, all you have to do is look in the original Greek language and you can see this. When Jesus said woman, this was a term of respect. Don't you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross? Are you listening? When Jesus was hanging on the cross in John 19, he looked down from the cross and he said, woman, behold your son, son, Behold your mother. To say woman was actually typical and polite. It was a polite way to address your mother. It was like saying Mrs. or ma'am. It's polite, respectful, and formal. No need to twist it. Just look at the original language. Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? In the Greek language, it reads, what with you and me, woman? What with you and me, woman? The question is meant to show a change in the mother-son relationship. You see, Jesus is beginning his public ministry now, and earthly relationships have to take a back seat. Don't you remember he predicted that in Luke chapter 2? Mary and Joseph are looking for Jesus, and they found him. And Jesus said, this was at 12 years old, Jesus said, didn't you know that I have to be about my father's business? Jesus is saying, Mom, we're entering into a different relationship. Some scholars believe that Mary is seeking to move Jesus forward to do a miracle that would vindicate her having a baby out of wedlock. Jesus said, what with you and me, woman? And from this point on, Mary moves into a relationship of someone who needed God's grace, just like everybody else. Now listen, my following comments are not meant to in any way be disparaging or disparaging to um, the Catholic church. Uh, Many of you know that I grew up Catholic and I went to Catholic school and I went to Catholic church uh, for many, many years. And I had come to learn Uh, And the Catholics do even today believe and elevate, I believe, unbiblically, they elevate Mary to an unhealthy position. Um, The Catholic Church teaches that Mary was a perpetual virgin. 
We know that Mary was not a perpetual virgin. Mark chapter 13 talks about Jesus' brothers and sisters. Even if you fast forward right here in verse 12, it talks about Jesus' brothers. Uh, Mary wasn't a perpetual virgin. That wouldn't even be culturally. It wouldn't make sense. As when Jesus, when God said, be fruitful and multiply, Jewish people uh, took that to mean to have as many children as possible. And so it it was culturally... um, um, acceptable and understood that a woman should have as many children as possible. And if a woman didn't have many children, then it was seen as God was frowning on her in some sense. So Mary was not a perpetual virgin. Mary was blessed among women, the Bible tells us. And she had many children. Um, the Catholic Church teaches that Mary was a co-redemptress. What is that? A co-redemptress or a co-mediator with Christ. In other words, the Catholic Church teaches that Mary helped Jesus redeem you from your sins. Even to the point where in some places they believe that Mary was on one side of the cross and Jesus was on the other. And they teach that Mary ascended into heaven. They call that the assumption of Mary. Listen, Mary needed a savior like everyone else, right? And that's what the book teaches. Mary needed a savior just like everybody else. In the book, Acts chapter 1, Mary was in the upper room with the disciples and praying and waiting on the the Holy Spirit to fall upon the church uh, with the disciples just like everyone else. In the book, Matthew chapter 12, uh, somebody came and told Jesus, your mother and your brother are outside waiting on you and they want to talk to you. And Jesus said, who is my mother and who is my brother? But those who do the will of God. I also think that, you know, on one side of the church, you have those who make Mary more than what she is and elevates Mary to a place where she does not belong. And then you have those on the other side of the church that that that, um, you know, devalue her position as the mother of God. Listen, Mary was the mother of God, and that's important. The Bible says she was blessed among women, not above women, but among women. She was the mother of God. That's important. Mary isn't like every other mother. So let's not take that away from her and go, well, you know, Mary was just like every other woman. No, she was not. She was a mother of God. Is there anybody in this room that gave birth to God? Please raise your hand. Where are you? Because we need to get you to Holly Hill. (laughs) Something's wrong. The mother of God. That's important. At the same time, here in John, Jesus is changing the relationship between him and his mother. What does your concern have to do with me? Look at verse 4. My hour has not yet come. John uses, uh, is very particular about times and days and hours. Very specific. John uses phrases like the next day, the following day, the third day. Here John tells us, Jesus said, my hour has not yet come. You'll see this phrase seven times in John's gospel. Got a pen? Want to keep up with me? John chapter 2, verse 4. By hour has not yet come. John 7, 6. John 7, 30. John 8, 20. John 12, 23. John 13, 1. And then finally, John 17, 1. 
he says, my hour has come. When Jesus talks about the hour, he's not talking about 60 minutes. He's talking about the Father's heavenly timetable. He's talking about the hour of crucifixion, the time that he's going to be lifted up on the cross. Jesus is saying, Mary, mom, it isn't up to you to start these things rolling. It's God's business. There's something else directing things. Like any good mom, she respects her kids and she says, whatever he says, do it. Looking at verse five, whatever he says, do it. These are the last recorded words of Mary in the Bible. And I think also a great life motto, isn't it, for all of us? Whatever he says, do it. Uh Uh-huh. Say that with me. Whatever he says, do it. That's a great life motto of obedience. Our obedience, write this down, is to be entire. Write that down. Entire. Whatever. Speaks of scope and range. Our obedience is to be exclusive. Whatever he says, he says, exclusive, exclusive of all others. If they differ from Jesus, do what he says. Are you listening? Our obedience is to be specific. Whatever he says, do it, do it, entire, exclusive, and specific concerning our obedience. Look at verse 6. Chapter 2, look at verse 6. If you're looking at verse 6, say amen. Now there was set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted, verse 9, the water that was made wine, and he did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good stuff. And when the guests have all drunk, then they put out the cheap stuff. Write it in your margins. You have kept the good stuff until now. This beginning of signs did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum. He, his mother, somebody read it with me, his brothers and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days Saints, stop right there. There were six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification, and each pot holds 20 to 30 gallons. These water pots are there for cleansing and uh, ritual purification according to the law. The thing that I want you to see here is I want you to see and notice how big they are. Notice 20, 30 gallons each. That's 150 to 180 gallons of wine available. That's 2,400 glasses of wine per pot. I don't know a wedding party on earth that can drink that much wine. I'm sure y'all do, but I, I, I don't. And I want you to understand something here. Jesus isn't meeting a need. Did you hear me? Jesus isn't meeting a need. Jesus is lavishing a gift on them. Because the excess wine can be sold for money, so Jesus is leaving a gift. 
And there are people who say that the wine um, was not wine, it was Welch's grape juice. And I've taken the time to do the homework for you. Uh, I want you to know in the Greek language, the word wine is wine. Amen. There you are now, all scholars. Go, my children, and teach. Wine is wine. It was wine. It was 180 gallons of wine. Look at verse 7. Fill the pots with water and fill them to the what? Brim. And that's not an insignificant detail. John wants us to know something. John wants us to know this miracle was complete. Nothing added, any, nobody added anything to it. The wine didn't go through fermentation process. Jesus said, fill the pots to the brim. The implication is if they had only filled the water pots half full, there would have been half as much wine. They are filled to the brim. The miracle was filled in the greatest measure. Note this, Bible students. Moses' first miracle was water to, anybody know? Blood. And that brought destruction and misery. Jesus' first miracle was water to wine and saved the day and brought joy. Jesus' first miracle is using water that represented the law because it was used for cleansing, uh, 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 ceremonial cleansing. Wine represents grace and peace and joy. Remember Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood as he held up the cup with the wine. The law came through Moses, the Bible tells us, but grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. We say that the water, or we could say that the water is like a relationship with God under the old covenant. And the wine is like a relationship with God under the new covenant. The wine is after the water. The new covenant is after the old covenant. The wine was from the water. The new covenant is from the old covenant. The wine was and is better than the water. The new covenant was and is better than the old covenant. A miracle was performed on the third day. Jesus rose from the grave on the third day. The third day is Tuesday. The third day is considered to be a day of blessing because it was on the third day of creation that God said it is good. It was the only day in creation that God said it was good twice. Did you get that? So in verse 8, Jesus said, draw some out and take it to the master's feast. Look at verse 8. Draw some out and take it to the master's feast. And when the ruler of the feast tasted the wine, he was shocked. And he didn't know where that wine came from. He called the bridegroom. In verse 10, he said, everybody else put the good stuff out first. And when people get pickled, soused. Bet you ain't heard that word in a while, have you? Soused. You soused. Drunk. Then the cheap stuff comes out. But at this wedding, the best wine is brought out last. Why? Because Jesus is involved. Saints, listen to me. Jesus is involved. And I'm going to tell you something. Here's a principle, a fact about Jesus. Jesus saves the best for last. Always. I love worship. Love a church. I love, um, I'm a church junkie. I love church. Love, I love watching people worship God. Uh, I love this church. Um, you know, I've been blessed. I've, I've, I've spoken at a lot of churches. Um, 
and I, and I, and I've, and I've, I've been in churches where, um, you know, there have been um, a, a church where there's, there's all white people, and, and, and that's fine. Uh, say amen. And uh, there's, I've been in church where there's all black people, uh, and that's fine. Say amen. Amen. The white guy says amen. Amen. The black people go, amen. I've been in churches where they say it's multicultural, and it's an all-white church, and they got one black family. Now, y'all know I'm just saying what you think. That's not multicultural. All-black church, one well, that ain't multicultural. All-white church, and they got one black family. Wait a minute. I was at church some years ago. Let me think about that. I'm thinking... Well, we would have, our church was all white at one point. Did y'all know this? Our church was all white at one point, and we were the only black people. At that time, I guess we weren't multicultural. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.